Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. Yes, Megan is back in the studio. I'm so happy to be back. Oh, I, I'm so glad that you're back. Not that we don't love Jason. No, but Jason's fantastic. I listened to the episodes while I was gone. He did a great job. Oh, I'm glad. It's just so much easier to record when someone's in person with you, too. And I know I we know. sound better, and but we're getting all of our audio. Right. We got new equipment coming. We can make love to each other with our eyes. I know, and I just so yeah. love to do that. But Speaking of these. making love... Let's uh, shake our sacks. If you're new here, we do shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack filled with crystal dicks for good luck. And luck. And what do you have, Meg? I have um, raccoon bones, very yes. specific to an area on the raccoon. Of a raccoon. Yeah. And what did we say the the technical definition? Ooh, a, bac- a buckum, buckum. Yeah, bacnum or something. Bacnum. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I could be butchering it. Listen yeah. to a previous episode. We have the technical term. Mm-hmm. I'm holding raccoon penises. Sure are. That's what they are. And we sh- we now shake those for good luck too. All because our listeners send us the most amazing things. Right. And perhaps they're a little warped, but we follow along. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> we're here for it. And they're here for it because we're warped too. Correct. So I ha- we have to give a special thanks to our listener, Rachel, for suggesting this case. So this one is going to be a humdinger thinker okay. for everyone. I love that. And I do think that a lot of people are going to be a little bit familiar with it. Maybe not in the true crime world, but familiar with the controversy controversy, and familiar, familiar. Let me try words again. I if mean, you don't follow me on social media, you guys, I am exactly... Uh, 23 hours back from a two-day bender in Nashville <laughs> celebrating my birthday. You know, when so, you were down there celebrating, ooh. you should have worn a Words Are Hard Crime Curious <laughs> t-shirt. I absolutely should. I know I should have wore a Crime Curious t-shirt because um, I had mentioned to one of the bartenders about something about true, true crime. She's like, oh, I love true crime. I did not like get into it because it's loud in there. But I was yeah. like, oh, if I was wearing a shirt, I could Same girl. I was in New Orleans and had the same experience. And people are like, oh my God, I've heard of you and I'm like why am I not wearing merch right yeah, we're right. gonna do better exactly. people we we're are gonna do better we are so special thanks to Rachel for suggesting this case this this is the very sad death of Audrey Mest some people might read her last name is Mestry uh, but she's French so I've okay. watched a documentary made sure that I was pronouncing this correctly but I we also had a special request Megan for a shout out for the next time that we record from a fellow social worker she's a a listener her name is Emily hi Emily and she wrote us a lovely story about how her and her best friend it's actually her best friend and sister-in-law Ariel listen to the podcast dutifully every week and then they chat weekly to discuss the cases in the podcast and oh I my god that was so sweet we're their book club yes yes I love it. but Ariel is in grad school in Florida and she works really hard and Emily just wanted to shout her out and surprise her because she knows she's going to listen to this so thank you both so much for listening and having weekly chats about us even if sometimes they're mean because I mean we get it we're not for everyone but shout out to girl friendships yes and we love you 
love, much love to you both of you. Thanks for listening. So hopefully that makes both Emily and Ariel smile. And, uh, that, that's all the smiles really for oh, now. Great. Because we're starting us off with a smile. Yeah. Cause now we're going to cry. I'll end you on a good one too. Oh, Don't good. worry. So let me tell you about Audrey. All right. She was born on August 11th, 1974 in St. Denis, France. Her grandfather was a spear fisherman champion. So he really inspired the the whole family to go into scuba diving. They were snorkeling enthusiasts. Just the ocean is their passion. I dig these people. That's me too. Yeah. Audrey began swimming as a child, of course. And when she was two, she became, or she, excuse me. When she was two, she came in first in the 25-meter swimming competition at two years old. Two. Two. Okay, a lot of kids have not even accomplished going poop on the potty yet. Or walking without running into the wall. Yep. Or tripping over a dog. And here she was already swimming and won her first competition. I like it. So she was based, she's a savant. She's been called several times the original mermaid. And I can see why. By age 13, she was a seasoned scuba diver, but she had to wait three years to get her certification under French law. She definitely could have been certified by the age of 13 for scuba diving, but 16 must until have been she required. was 16. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, tragically, Audrey became afflicted with typhoid fever at the age of 14. And as a result, she was diagnosed with a very severe, severe case of scoliosis, which I actually have scoliosis in my back, but Audrey had it to the point where she, it needed to be corrected. And the only way to do this, and if you don't know, scoliosis is is a large curve in the spine. Yes. And the only way for Audrey to have it corrected over time was for her to wear a very large hard metal corset that straightened her spine. Which sounds like the fifth ring of hell, if right. you ask me. Only because I know what wearing a bra feels like. Yeah, well, I've worn a corset before as well. I used to oh. act and be in plays and stuff. Oh. And so, yeah, those time periods. And they are uncomfortable. And you have, to, you have to breathe like... I bet you'd make a hell of a French maid. Girl, you don't even know. I'll send you pics later. <laughs> I want to see. So she took full advantage in this point in time in her life. And she does make a full recovery from the scoliosis. Okay. But it wasn't without challenges of having to wear this corset. Well, she spent the the only time that she could be out of the corset and not in pain and feeling comfortable is when she was in the water. So she spent as much time as possible with her grandfather in the water and and in comfort, you know, much more comfort. It It does pressure off your spine. Exactly. And so she's in love with the sea, so much so that she pursued marine biology at La Paz University near um, Sea of Cortez in Baja, California, Mexico. Cool. Yep. So she did travel to go to Want to go back to school now. Mm-hmm. She loved to dive with animals. Everyone who knew her said that she was said to have the touch because animals would not swim away from her. There are some amazing pictures out there that professional photographers have taken of her with animals that typically would swim away. So sea, from people. sea creatures. Yes, she is the original mermaid. Mm-hmm. And those that knew her were literally enchanted by her. If you want to see a lot of really awesome footage of her prior to the her tragic outcome of how she leaves this this earth... Um, there is a documentary, I believe ESPN had one as well, because we're going to see, she becomes a professional, um, 
uh, we'll get into it in a second, but she becomes a professional free diver. So she is in, in the sports world and there is a documentary that I watched for this. There's a couple of books out there as well, but I know this case now it's do you? Yeah. You, you said the magic words, you said free diver diver. and it brought Mm -hmm. to my attention something that came across my feed. Yeah. So she, um, this documentary is really beautiful. It just shows beautiful clips of her and her talking about her love of the sea and, and eventually diving, but that's not where her love, you know, start. I mean, scuba diving, yes, but not free diving. That's not where her original love was. People who literally, you can see why people said that they were enchanted by her. Like everyone who met her said that she was just enchanting. And I don't know, I was enchanted by, and when I watched the documentary, I actually had no idea how it was going to turn out. I had no prior knowledge. Rachel had just sent, suggested this case, said a couple of words, sent it to me and was like, watch this documentary and see what you think. I want to hear your thoughts. As I'm watching it, I found myself enchanted by her, not even knowing that she would be become a victim, essentially. Oh, you're so, watching this movie or this documentary about this like literal mermaid and then you're yeah. like, no, yeah. no. So I, exactly, I can see why people, I, I get that, I think that's a genuine assessment, not like one of those, oh, she lit up a room that, you know, she walked into because we talk about them posthumously, you know, like so po- positively. I think in this case, she literally was enchanting. Uh, clearly the sea creatures were enchanted by her. Well, I'm now I'm in love with her already. Mm-hmm. And when you see her, you will be too, because she's freaking gorgeous. Of course she is, because she's a mermaid. Mm -hmm. In May 1995, she started her thesis on marine physiology. She wanted to study the body's changes when you dive. Oh, The physiological changes. To do so, she was using the muse, Papin Ferreras, because at the time, in 1995... He had been free diving professionally since 1987. And so by this time, he's pretty, those, those in the free diving world, he's pretty famous, but also he had, you know, he had big sponsors. So even people that aren't familiar with free diving, maybe knew of him because he had sponsors. So he's selling various scuba gear and, you know, all of these other things he's on billboards. So she decided to use him for her thesis paper. She was going to study him through his profession. Yep, exactly. She did not know him, you know, prior to at all. She was just writing about him. And I want to explain free diving. You know, we were. I was just going to ask. Yeah. We're an audio platform, so I can't show you a video of oh, it I, I necessarily. Maybe you'd get but on top of your chair. I get. <laughs> I can try to demonstrate for you, most certainly. Let me go fill a bucket. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. And get a little balloon, please. I will. So free diving is an extreme sport, is what it's considered, where a person will dive underwater without the use of breathing, like a breathing apparatus, all right? They go very deep into water on what they call a sled. So they go down and then they come back up. And so visually, if you guys can picture this, this person is standing, okay, as much as you can stand in the water, right? Like you're standing and you are attached to, there's a line that this sled plummets down on a cable. It's a cable line, all right? And that line goes to the depth that you're trying to achieve. So for the extreme sport, you know, they're always trying to break one another's records Records. for the deepest dive. Well, what happens, so you go down and you can't 
you got to go down at certain speeds. It's not like super, super fast to go down. Um, you have to de- watch out for pressure. You do. and depend. But this is the good thing. Well, the good and the bad thing. They're doing all of this on one breath. So the, the pressure thing isn't as... Um, important because you're not breathing. You're not, there's no, nothing getting into your lungs okay. at all. Yep. So it is a one breath. Free it is dry, a free one dive. breath free and dive And can I just down. inquire and maybe you're going to get there, but are these people on average holding their breaths like a few minutes? Yes. We will get to the times okay. and the minutes. Yes. It of course depends on the depths that you're at. I'll just tell you that the depth that she was trying to achieve would have, she should have been back up at three minutes. So to give you some perspective, and I'll give you specifics, more specifics in a minute, but it takes about a minute and a half or so to get, you know, all the way down. Again, it just depends on the depths they're trying to achieve, but you're riding this sled and you are descending into the ocean on a single breath and you have what is connected to this sled, a tiny air tank. If you can picture a small air tank that is inside a balloon, and so what happens when they get down to their their target depth, they will then grab a hold of the um, handle that the balloon is on. They will open the tank's oxygen valve, and then they pull the pin from the tank. The tank inflates the balloon and shoots your ass right back up to the surface in a matter of seconds. So quickly. Quickly on one breath. Yep, yep, yep. So your descent down is going to take you longer, right? But then once you've reached the depth, you then pull that pin, that balloon inflates because of the oxygen in the tank and hurls you back up to the surface. That is free diving in a very layman, you know, specification. But if you could picture all of that, there's really not like a ton of equipment that's involved. I mean, no. when you're really talking about diving compared to scuba diving, no, where they I'm, have and tanks I'm, that are a I'm mixture of gas. In my and head right now, all of the things that can go wrong. That's all I can think of. Oh, we'll get to. I them. know we're mm-hmm. going to get to it. That's mm-hmm. what's bothering me. Like I'm mm-hmm. just thinking of all the all of the bad things that could happen. Absolutely. And I love the snorkel, but I think I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, I free. Woo! It was interesting on the documentary too. It was called No Limits: The Audrey Mess Story. Um, like I said, I know ESPN did a series on them in 2003. You can find this documentary on YouTube for sure. But uh, it was interesting to hear from other free driver free divers who were like, you know, we actually don't consider what we do to be an extreme sport. Um, one girl that we're going to talk about in a minute was like, I think downhill skiing is batshit crazy. But Having been someone who's downhill skied and ended up the snowball at the bottom, I <laughs> agree with her. <laughs> but she thinks, you know, for My knees her, ain't what they used to be. Yeah. Free diving is not nearly as dangerous, you know, for it, for them. I think the risk is, is worth the reward. It is said to take you, transcend you into places that you never thought possible, both in your mind, you know, your body and your mind because of what it does, does but it does to you physiologically, which is why Audrey wanted to do her thesis on it. it. It intrigued her so much. Um, and she actually wrote on a site called freediving.net slash Audrey. She had a little bio on there. And to quote her from there, she said, I wanted to know everything about him. She was infatuated with Papine. She oh. wanted, you know, I mean, he was at the top of his game when she was writing that thesis and thesis. And she just wanted to know, like, how, like, why do you do this? Was and this in the 80s? 1995 she at this point in, in time. She's 95 fangirling. And she's young. Okay. She was born in 74. Right. All right. We'll get to Papine and his age in a minute. But 
She, um, she said, quote, I gathered all the information available on articles, experiments, books, videos. He became my only conversation topic, my only preoccupation, my new obsession, end quote. Then one day, she literally sees a poster of Pepin and realizes that her study subject had an organized dive in Cabo San Lucas, which was within reach of where she was at the time when she saw that poster. So when she sees this this poster, she's like, and this is a direct quote from her as well. She said, since he took my sleep away several times during the development of my thesis, I couldn't resist the temptation of going to Cabo to meet him, even from afar. She just wanted to see him dive. I mean, he's right there within her reach. Like any girl going to a concert. Absolutely. She, She said, I took a bus that also carried chickens, egg cartons, and dogs for four long hours to arrive in Cabo just to watch him dive. This dive took place on March 8th, 1996, and people say that, quote, they fell in love almost immediately. Now, remember, I they fell in love. I mentioned Audrey is gorgeous, yes. right? She's a knockout. Of course, Pepin is going to take notice of her. And not only does he take notice, but literally the very next day, she is helping assist him on one of his training dives. Oh, so he noticed her and was like, want to join my team? I need me a new groupie. Mm-hmm. You're young, you're, you're 22 young, you're and yeah. you're beautiful and you know how to scuba dive. I could use yo- you on my training dives because he has his own little b- business of going. He, does. he trains people. It's not just all about free diving, breaking records for him. He has, he's an entrepreneur. So he's got merch. He's got sponsors. He's this doing training. This fan girl is working out really well for her. Mm-hmm. Like she just went to do what all of us other people who liked, you know, new kids on the block went to do. Only she literally got brought up on stage. In a matter of hours. Yep. So, and, and I will say this though, she is a certified scuba instructor. Yeah, she, so she, she did have shit. a place there. Yep. Yep. She grew up on the sea. Um, but for a professional who is attempting another world record dive to just take a, a random woman that he just met and ask her to assist his crew of other professionals seems a little bit obvious to me of what his agenda was. Okay. Right. Now, Audrey. You wanted to discuss it later over dinner. For sure. Yes. He wanted to discuss it later over her body. I'm pretty sure. I didn't say what they were eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so Audrey also saw firsthand that's that first day helping him how dangerous free diving is because one of the divers on Papine's team died that day. No shit. Yep. Yep. So this, ha- <laughs> we're not involved in an extreme sport where people die. No. Often. I mean, no, I'm not that I'm aware of. No, I'm just saying to have people say that they don't consider their job, their yeah. their freediving unsafe when people die regularly, it would seem. Well, what happened was she handled that situation so smoothly that that caught Pepin's attention too. Like, oh, this did not phase her that this dude just, just died diving it was ruled a, a drowning How, what um, happened to him do we know what happened tell me about the equipment everyone malfunction. who everyone who dies on under Pepin's watch is ruled as drowning oh everyone mm-hmm. everyone who dies under Pepin's watch she tells us listeners yes okay yes yes that's talk what, to me more what about I said Peppy Le Pew over here <laughs> I picture it, right? The romance yeah. story and he's the, you know, oh, my flower. Oh, we're about to get to it. <laughs> we're about to get to his the flower. The cat's running away. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Uh, he, they were, they did interviews together and Pepin said, I watched one of them and he said, quote, the first day we met was the first day we started living together. We never separated. So with dive or with dive, sorry, lots of words with time, she wanted to dive without tanks as he did and experience the world that he did. And she explained this by saying, it's very difficult to live with someone that has experienced sensations unknown by the rest of the world, sensations that can't be described or shared, she wrote. So she wanted to share those experiences. So that's why in 1997, this is continuing the quote with her, quote, that is why in 1997, I took the decision of setting my first record in free diving. I thought that if I could enter his underwater world, I could be closer to him. And I did. And what she meant by set her first record, um, this was not like a world record that she was going to try her own personal, personal best. Yeah. She was going to attempt free diving. Yep. For the first time. So that was really in less than a year of meeting him. She's free diving. And now I'm going to break for a second to tell you about Pepin. Pepe Le Pew. Mm-hmm. Yes, Pepe. <laughs> he was born not Pepin. He was born Francisco Rodriguez. Oh. But he, I, yeah, it didn't, it didn't roll off the tongue quite like Pepin does. I mean, it's a lovely name, but it's not French. No, he was given the nickname. He was actually, he's Cuban. Oh. He was born in Cuba. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love your food, Cuba. Uh, he was given the nickname Pepin early on in life, and it just stuck and so then he decided to drop Rodriguez and adopted Ferreras his le- real legitimate last name is not was not he wasn't born he wasn't born Papin. with either of those names no was not born Papin Ferreras and I think psychological I mean you know the psychology in me the psychology that's not what I meant people <laughs> but you know but, do you like how I'm looking at you right now like like, what the fuck do you mean, Chardell? I'm waiting for it to come out. I yeah. know you're processing it. Well, it's just more, I was going to say psychologist, but I don't want to misrepresent myself. I am not a psychologist, but I, I mean, I did used to teach psychology at the collegiate level. So what I'm trying to say is that the social worker in me there you go. feels that knowing that Papine was not born Papine Ferreras, but was actually born somebody else and just adopted a different name. It goes to show how he changes as a personality person and and how he kind of lives in his own world, Megan. He is his the star of his show always. Yes. I was just going to compare him. He's he's no different than any actor or actress who changes their name yep. for notoriety because it fits their personality better, mm-hmm. the one that they want people to buy. Yeah. Yeah. Buy yeah, into. Ex- exactly. Buy into is a big big thing. Um, he was born January 18th, 1962 in Cuba. So he is Ooh. 12 years older okay. than Audrey. It could be worse. <laughs> it absolutely could. It's no big deal now. Yeah. But when they met, he was 34. She was 22. Different, a little bit different stages in life. That's okay. Um, Pepin was absolutely known as a ladies man. All over. Sex sells, right? All right. I'm assuming he's not too bad to look at. Okay. Well, I'd like to tell you that. But he, <clears throat> did he I have like a nice pe- swimmer body? No. Well, yeah. I mean, he worked out and stuff, but people, I actually wrote this in my notes. I have no fucking clue how he was a ladies man. Like he's not my type. He's just not my type. I'm just not here for it. I don't find him attractive at all. And that was before I even knew this, the, what happened. She's about to Google him. Everyone's going to be Googling him right now. <laughs> There's just some angles that you see him at on camera that I'm like, oh, wait, really? Um, 
I think that it was his... What's his last name again? Uh, Papin Ferreras, F-E-R-R-E-R-A-S. Okay. Um, I think that it was just his status where he was at in life that he was able to be a, a ladies' man. But anyway, let me tell you a little bit about his life. So Pepin had developmental problems growing up. He was born with deformities in his legs and his feet that required correction, just like Audrey's scoliosis. So I can see how they could kind of bond over that. He also had asthma and bad eyesight. Asthma? asthma and he's a free diver. Yes. Yeah. That one strikes me as, as strange mm-hmm. right away. And maybe he grew out of it, but as a kid, he had asthma. Yeah. Sure. Or was said to have asthma self-reported at just saying. I don't know. Maybe um, he only smoked from ages 8 to 16 maybe. and then things got better. Yeah. You never know. So just like Audrey, he felt um, his least amount of discomfort when he was in the water from his, uh, especially his leg deformities that he had. So he was said to have learned how to swim before he could walk. Which makes sense, actually, if he had to have corrective uh, surgeries on his sure. legs. His father was also a professional uh, spearhead fisherman, just like Audrey's grandpa. So he, too, was able to be exposed to the water at a very young age and even took up the sport of spear fishing long before he started his career in uh, free diving. So as Pepin started breaking records with free diving and he gained celebrity status in that circle, that's when he became the ladies' man and... You know, this is actually what I wrote. You know how average looking and even unattractive people end up being the most wanted when they become famous and can pull mates way above their attractiveness rating? Well, this is how Pepin is a ladies man. It has to be his status because, honey, it ain't his personality. I can tell you that. So there's a male version of the hot to crazy scale. Oh, there is a male version of hot to crazy. We'll have to talk with uh, our friend Jason Mm -hmm. about this later. Yeah, that's going to be on the other podcast. Pepin was also described by many close to him as having a godlike complex. And to give you a direct quote from him, he once said, quote, the day that I cannot free dive no more, I'm going to elevate myself and go to a different dimension, end quote. Dude, is that like a suicide statement? I, th- I think he really believes that he's going to escape this realm and live in a different dimension because he lives in his own Pepin dimension. They're free divers. Maybe he knows where Atlantis is perhaps at the sitting at the bottom of the ocean and we'll see uh, Pepin doesn't take safety seriously so he does all kinds of risky things with his life too I'm sure he's reached all kinds of heights and pushed his body to all kinds of limits for sure sitting on the bottom of the ocean on one single breath and yeah yep I bet I bet that is quite a an outer body experience, if you this will. This is just his own form of autoerotica at this point. It is, point. 100%. I, I had the same freaking thought. Well, we are one mind. <sighs> I, I right love here, it. we're connecting across the table. I know, I can feel it. It's making me tingly. <laughs> um, so We're not even drinking. It's the, we it can't be the water. It's not the water. He was described by many as being a product of his own imagination. And I really loved that quote. Like, yep, I can see this. Oh, I'm going to use that line. Mm-hmm. Oh, in court, please tell me you're going to do it in court. Well, I've been known <laughs> to say some things in court. We'll see if it makes it into my repertoire. Right. Many said that he and Audrey were not a comparable match. They were more like the beauty and the beast. Absolutely. I kind of agree. Um, like Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde situations going on. 
1992, an organization was formed, Megan, around the dangers of free diving to provide protection for divers to reduce fatalities because there had been many by 92. Was and as involved you, in all of them? As you were, right, as you were pointing out earlier, like, wait, this is a dangerous sport. How, you know, they started to recognize that in 92. If you go to do your hobby or activity and know that you're might not walk away. It's a dangerous sport. It's mm-hmm. like any of you crazies that base jump yeah. or, or in fact, jump out of airplanes. Although I've been told skydiving safe, but I prefer not to talk to those people. And then, right. yeah, I mean, there's, those or, are dangerous sports. Or get in a car with my husband. <laughs> right. uh, that is a dangerous sport. Yeah. For Every me, time. it's getting in, into a car with my friend from high school. I still won't. She's never <laughs> driven a car since the first time I got in it when she finally got her driver's license at 18. And she's never driven a vehicle I've been in with her since. And we're <laughs> 40, lesson, and did we're you? 45. Right. Yeah. So this this organization that was formed to protect free divers was is called the International Associate Association for Development of Apnea. Huh. Okay. It has to do with oxygen and breathing. Yep. Or they, lack thereof. And they call it IDA. Okay. okay, so the IDA is is a good organization that is there during worldwide rule record keeping body. Okay, like if you're going to go for the world record, you gotta follow the IDA standards of safety, and that's how it's going to be legitimate. Okay, um, also not just free diving, but other competitive breath holding events, things like that. So it sets those safety standards. Okay, and. For the official world record attempts, you at this point in time, you had to file, follow, follow the IDA safety standards. So um, they're a parent organization for national clubs of like the same kind of name is what a, a Wikipedia told me. But then Papine did not like having sanctions being imposed on his sport. And he wanted to do things his own way. Speaking of godlike complexes. So in response, in 1996, he formed his own version of IDA. I'm sorry, he formed his own safety organization? He sure did. And he got sponsors to help fund it. So this organization was called the International Association of Free Divers, or IAFD. And it was in direct opposition to the IDA organization. Which is different than IDA. D-G-A-F. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's really what this organization should have been called. Well, that's what he was saying to it the was. other organization. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and I will just tell you this right now for easier perspective later. Yeah. This organization closes in 2004. The tragedy we're, gonna, we're talking about today happened in 2002. So his Papine's IAFD organization does not last Okay, from 96 to 2004, it was a recognized organization. But I will say this, the world record attempts did not appear to acknowledge his organization unless yes, unless they followed the IDA organization. So I've read some conflicting things on that because all all the stuff that he talks about or, or that is said about him is that he's a 21 time world record holder. But a lot of those records were held under his own standards. I was just going to say. Not the IDA standards. Yeah. So does he actually hold them? Are they not recognized? Well, and that's, that's where I, I was confused and I couldn't find the straight answer. It's almost like because he did these 
under safety standards that were set by a recognized organization, then they, then most considered it to be legitimate for his dive. I just find it that incredibly interesting then because do people who went under his, which probably had less safety, obviously had less safety guidelines, Mm -hmm. win records that then aren't acknowledged later because they didn't go under IDA. They used, you know, IDGAF instead, which I'm going to continue to call it. (laughs) I think you should. Well, and, and I do wonder that because there were plenty who worked under him, you know, who were on his team. There were plenty of dives that he sanctioned essentially that his organization sanctioned okay. all, you know, all of his record dives in this era were conducted within the ambit of his own IAFD organization with, and not with the IDA organization. He had, uh, at the time that he met Audrey, he had two failed marriages Weird. before he met her on that day on March 8th, 1996 on that dive in Cabo <laughs> San Lucas. If you can't hold your breath for three minutes, baby, it ain't going to last with me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess they couldn't. <laughs> Shouldn't meet the IDGAF standards, Mm-mm. either of them. Nope. I think they could probably, I think they got to a point where they were IDGAF. Correct. For sure. Like, I, I am done with you. Later in an interview with the two, with both Pepin and Audrey, um, they speak and tell about how literally it took him two days to fall in love with her. Like, in, in two days. And that, my friends is a statement most often made by someone who is fantastic at love bombing. Oh, yeah. And that's what happens here. Narcissist. Yeah. Manipulation. They have a hard and fast whirlwind romance. Um, Some close to Pepin point out that Audrey, that it was Audrey who wished to meet him. And that's true. She did idolize him um, prior to meeting him. And it was she that fell in love with him because of his status, but it was most certainly the other way around as well. Um, they had, like I said, he was good at love bombing. All of Audrey's friends and and even Pepin's had talked frequently about how he was a ladies' man. He had a godlike complex. A lot of times he wasn't grounded in reality. He thought most highly of himself. Not only that, though, what troubled everyone is that Above and beyond what what Pepin wanted and what Pepin was accomplishing was above and beyond anything of Audrey. She was second to Pepin in in to himself. He okay. wanted a cheerleader. Yes. You know, so there there is that honeymoon phase that happens and then just like a stomach ache after a night of beer and wings, <laughs> troubles are brewing. For me it's ice cream and wine. Oh. I'm sorry, because that's a that, those are two of my favorite things. I can't eat the ice cream anymore. I'm old. Uh, the beer and wings, I'd be fine. Yeah, a lot of people described these two relationship as one of the master teaching the student. All right, I'm rolling my eyes over here. Most certainly, okay, as you Yoda. should. But then what happens is she becomes a badass bitch, Megan, and she is out doing Pepin. No quickly. shit. Oh yeah, she's amazing at free diving, and. He's exciting her, or he's showing her this exciting world, but she is a star on the rise, okay? This is like a classic The Star is Born tale, where he is a star in decline, and she's a star on the rise. They court for a while. 1999, they get married. And in 2000, Audrey- That's when I got married. Is it? Oh, we won't even go to the fact that I was in ninth grade, my friend. Well, you could have been my flower girl, bitch. <laughs> I would have, I would have been honored. I really would have. 
In 2000, Audrey attempts her first record-breaking dive in the women's free world. Many say that breaking records were not was not something that Audrey was passionate about. She loved diving with animals. But breaking the, the record and things like that, that was Pepin who would push her, and it was Pepin that she was trying to please. Okay? So her first dive was actually, um, she actually blacked out at the surface, which it happens frequently. Okay, okay. that is a dangerous part. Just that part. sudden mm-hmm. intake of oxygen yep. after being propelled up. Yep. Just she just blacks out. Now, according to the Ida standards, it meant that she did not break the record because if you black out at oh. the surface, it's not a complete dive. Is it like after a chicken wing eating contest, if you vomit at yeah. the end, it doesn't count? Just like that, Megan. Thank you. <laughs> I needed to put it into perspective, you yes. know, for some of our listeners. Right, right. That is exactly how it is. But according to Papine's, IAFD standards, she was now the new world record holder because he didn't have anything written in there about blacking out when you come up, when you surface, okay? Uh, Just this whole thing is just going to irritate you. Okay. So the two become a record-breaking, like, world. They did couple, there's couple diving that you can do together. I'm sorry. I'm just, I have to say it. It's easy to break records when you make your fucking rules up. Well, right. It's like as they go. Yeah. Well, you passed out. So it's not your record. But then the next week you're like, you know what? I decided that this week yeah, you can pass out you can pa- and yep. have the right. I don't know. Now you can. I don't like him. But they were no doubt about it. Audrey was very, very good at this. He was clearly very good at it. They're, and at the beginning, is he loving that she's like this rock star? In the beginning. Right. Because he's the beginning. taking her around. He's having yeah. her do all these things. And she doesn't really want to be doing it. She'd rather be diving with dolphins. The animals and just enjoying the sea. And yeah. And, and she was passionate about free diving. But she didn't. She wasn't one that was going to be like, oh, I've broke 25 world records. Like that didn't. That wasn't, you know, where where her priority. Her and passion. Her, yeah. Was at. Her passion was she she loved Papine. And she loved doing things with him that oh, he shared a passion of for. Some kind, so. <laughs> for sure. Ursula created him, I'm fairly certain. No. The Kraken. The, the Kraken. Oh, might have hatched right from the Kraken. Right. That's a good point. The problem is, though, you know, they've got their honeymoon phase. Shortly after they get married, they actually start to become pe- competitors because she learned in what she learned in three years, Megan what Pepin had been accomplishing his entire life. Okay. That's a slap in the face. It really is. It really is. And people are loving her. Not only that, but she's gorgeous. And we're going to find out that there is another up and coming free diving woman who is also gorgeous. And her and her, or her and her husband start utilizing that to their advantage. And they start basically using sex cells. And, and I'll get to her in just a minute, but you know, I think, but this is all happening at the same time. And I think Pepin is like kind of seeing her as like a, a way to continue with with his notoriety. I always struggled with that word. And fame through his, his wife. But he doesn't necessarily want her to be better than him. Right? Who wants it that? It is crushing to the male ego. It is. I've heard that. It just shrivels up those little balls real quick. And they fit in the kangaroo sack. Yes. And then we can <laughs> shake them. You know, for Audrey, she's just wanting to please him, right? Free divers describe the feeling of being so far underwater with one breath of air as euphoric, like almost addicting, all right? They push their bodies to the limit, their heart rate slows, their lungs shrink to the size of oranges. Picture that, people. Your lungs get to the size of oranges, 
and your heart redirects blood flow from your extremities to your vital organs. And that apparently feels euphoric. To me, it feels terrifying. And you piss yourself. I'm sure, but you're in the water. Nobody cares. Right, no one knows. Right. In a 2002 ABC News report, they estimated that 100 free divers die annually, that it's a hostile world down there. Um, free dive, there was a free diving teacher that spoke out to Good Morning America, and he said the biggest risk in free diving is blackout. This is a quote from him. That's upon your return to the surface. You've used up so much oxygen that your body senses the low level and it decides to conserve oxygen for you. And it basically shuts you off, turns the switch off, and you go unconscious. So So if you're at the bottom and you can't activate the balloon because you pass out or you activate the balloon and then pass out? Yeah, well, that's what you're saying. How do you hold on to it? It's what your safety divers are there for. Oh, they're safety divers. There are tons. We're going to get to the safety divers, honey. You make me feel better a little bit because I'm like, I don't don't even know. I want to start singing Black Balloon by Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, no, there are. There should be lots of safety divers along your journey on this cord, on this sled that's sliding down this cord as you descend into the ocean. Okay. He, so uh, Mr. Crack that was talking to uh, Good Morning America said that blackouts account for 99.9% of free diving deaths. Audrey and Pepin themselves had both suffered blackouts. In 2000, Pepin blacked out during an attempt to dive 534 feet, which is 163 meters. In her early free diving days, Audrey blacked out um, following a dive of 410 feet, which was 125 meters. So the, the risk of a disaster increased with the risk of, de- of depth. Okay, obviously. The deeper you go, the longer you're under there, the dan- more dangerous it is. Um, another free diver, Rudy Castanera, had told the New York Times, quote, there is no physical effort involved in this discipline, if you will. You ride a sled down and then are pulled back up. You can reach amazing depths, and those depths are starting to pose physiological threats to divers. So she is kind of speaking out saying like, because at what point in time is just, uh, you've gone far enough. We don't need to continue. You're just holding your breath and training your body to be able to do something better or longer than it was naturally created to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they're doing. Yep. Not seeing these people are incredibly in shape because you're going to have oh, to you be. Oh, you have to be. Peak, yeah, <clears throat> peak condition. Definitely. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, eat six muffins with a beer gut and attempt to do this yep. on a sled. Most well, definitely I can not. hold my breath for a while, but still. Yeah. But, but at crushing depths? No, you know? mine was more, you know, in the shores of Saginaw Bay with my sister and I, <laughs> you know, go, okay, I'll hold your head under until I see the bu- <laughs> bubbles. And it was voluntary. We I was, know. Yeah, I we know. were seeing How long can I hold my breath? Yeah, I usually won, by the way, but. I wasn't afraid to fucking pass out either. Uh, See? (laughs) In three feet of water. So see, I could, if I was going to be in any any type of a sport where I might die, I would would be it. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be jumping out of an airplane or off of a mountain. No, no. Just sledding down the ocean, literally. Why not? Mm -hmm. The No Limits world record holder, which No Limits is like who, what the organization is. Okay. okay. That, That does the world records, things like that. In 2002, a new world record was set by Tanya Streeter on August 17th. She went all the way to 520 feet and she did use the IDA safety standards. All right. So it was an official world record. And I want to tell you about that dive because I think if I tell you about this dive and then I tell you about Audrey's, it's going to be more clear where things went wrong. Okay. This is the officially sanctioned organization IDA dive. Yep. 
as I had mentioned before, her team includes her husband and her crew includes her husband. She's also beautiful. She had kind of started the whole sex sells propaganda technique to put free diving on the map with sponsorships and all that stuff. So she's posing in her bathing suit for these things. Oh, yeah. ESPN Magazine's got her, Sports Illustrated, which I'll see. There's beautiful underground pictures of Papine and Audrey in Sports Illustrated. Really? Yeah, they did some gorgeous, like, photography dives together. And, yeah, all kinds. It really is beautiful. But... Yeah, they've got Tanya's selling all kinds of stuff for that world, you know, in that world. In, and Pepin is seeing this. And now, 2002, August 2002, now she's the world record holder, not just of women's. I'm saying women and men. No one else has went 520 feet successfully or 161 meters successfully. Okay. If you recall from what I said just a little while ago, in 2000, Papine blacked out trying to do 163 meters, which is 534 feet. Right. So it didn't count. No, he can't do it. Nope. He he absolutely cannot do it. And he knows that his time is in 2002. His time is running short. He's almost 40. Your lungs and everything else Mm -hmm. are shriveling up. Yep. Actually, he was born in 62. So he is 40 in 2002. And I'll go south after that girl. That's what I hear. Give me one more year, Megan. Okay. I, I enjoyed this. Paul Streeter is on that documentary, uh, No Limits, that I was telling you about. And he said, listen, yes, I am on my wife's team, but my number one priority is her safety. Everything else comes second. The fame, the sponsors, the world records, that's all second. I am in charge of making sure that her safety is number one priority. He also ensures that he handles and checks the most important piece of equipment on board. And that is the air tank that sits inside the balloon that brings his wife back to the surface. Remember when I was describing for you how free diving goes? Yes. They grab a bar that the balloon is attached to. They open the oxygen tank and they pull that pin. So Paul says, I check that. I make sure there is a whole team. There's a whole crew that also checks it. But Paul himself also makes sure that he checks it and makes sure it's in working order. Important detail in case you couldn't tell by the way I'm setting this up. I'm just thinking to myself, if I'm doing the dive, I'm going to fucking check it. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I'm thinking about Amen. right now. Amen. Not saying I don't trust anyone, but eh. We'll come back to that. So to do a world record dive like this, there's a whole last team. There are safety divers who are stationed throughout the entire line that the free divers ride down to, and you know, it goes all the way down to the depth that they're trying to achieve. So a dive of 520 feet will take the free diver who is diving on a single breath of air about three and a half minutes in total. That means down to the depth and back up. So in no more than three and a half minutes, they will be surfacing again. However, the safety divers that are stationed throughout that cord that they're riding down on, um, there are, it's every so, so many feet. They have two divers stationed every so many feet because think about it i can picture it they're they're scuba divers so they're wearing tanks that are filled with oxygen and gas and they like mix it they have they can only go up at a certain rate for um, decompression purposes right right so they have to be stationed in different areas they do different depths yeah to be to be safe right because if there's an emergency then those divers can grab her him or her 
take them up to the depth that is safe for them to to ascend that quick and hand the body, hand the person off. And they can do that quickly enough to rescue the person. Okay. An important note here, they cannot give their oxygen tank and I collaborated, collaborated, cooperated this in many different sources that know way more about this shit than I do. The safety divers cannot just give the free diver their oxygen mask or a hit off of their oxygen mask. Okay. Because remember what I had said about how much it shrinks the lungs to the size of oranges. Should they do that? It was, it was from my research, what was said many times, it would explode. Yes. Your lungs have to open back up on your way up. Yes. Yep. So they cannot, those divers aren't there to give them oxygen. The divers, each of the safety divers have their own little pony tank that has a balloon on it. Their job is to attach one of those. If there's something going wrong, they attach it to the free diver and ignite it, right? Pull the pin and get them to the next person that then can get them to the next person. That's the quickest way to save someone on these free dives. Are they tied to the sled? They are not, the, they're not, not the, they're not connected to the line. They're holding on to it. Okay. So I meant the actual free drive diver when she's on the sled, is she attached to it? No. Or is she just holding it? So she could float off into the ocean. If she blacks out, she can float off into the ocean. And that's why those safety divers are stationed. I don't trust people. Right. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> yes. Um, the like only being in space. Have you seen the space movies? It's now, literally floating away. I will say this: perhaps under the Ida standards, you are supposed to be connected to the sled. Okay. Audrey was not, and I I know that because of how she ends up being found in a circumstance. But okay. Um, but that is that. So I just wanted to give a little information on the safety divers that they can't actually give them oxygen. Okay. It's not and they that have easy. to pass them up. They pa- yep, yep, they pass them up. I want to know how many times they have had to intervene and if they've been successful. <laughs> like My understanding is they absolutely have. That okay. this, this works. These safety protocols are tested by IDA and they work. And it has reduced the amount of deaths since they set these standards that were happening in free diving. It takes, so a dive that's going to take three and a half minutes for a free diver, for the safety divers, it takes them three and a half hours. No shit. Because the get, ones all the way at the bottom have to take their time. They're scuba dive. They're wearing, yeah, know, breathing. Yeah. They have to take their time coming back up from these depths. 520 feet. Yeah. So that, I just, it, just in thinking about that, I'm like, holy shit, which means they're expensive. You know, there's only so many divers that are certified to use these type of tanks that can keep them under water like this, right? And then in the protocols for coming up safely. So I get that it's not cheap. It's not a cheap endeavor, and that's why you have sponsors, okay? That pays for these dives. Making more sense now. Mm -hmm. So here for Tanya's world record safety dive under the IDA standards, she had two stationed down this line in a buddy system, right? So just in case something goes wrong with one of the safety divers and their equipment, we still have someone else. So okay? there's pairs of mm-hmm. them all the way there's down. There's pairs of them all the way down. For Tanya's 520 feet world record dive, there were 16 safety divers stationed at every 50 to 60 feet. So if, if they needed to, they could literally relay her very easily to one another, 50 to 60 feet. Also, so Tanya's dive actually did not go nearly as smoothly as the practice dives. First, she packed her lungs so full of air 
that she passed out just before the moment she was supposed to descend. Oh. And at the time, Ida didn't have rules about that. You could, you just couldn't pass out um, when you came, when you resurfaced. But there were no rules yet, and I believe there are now, that if you pass out before from packing your lungs it with just air. It just seems like it wouldn't be smart to yep. let somebody dive after they've passed out. But everyone on that team, she said that she was, she packed her lungs, she passed out, came back really quickly. It's all on video. You can see it happen. No it's, shit. it's super fast. She looked to her, um, to the, one of the judges that was going, and she said, can I still dive? And he's going through his mental checklist of the rules. And like, you know, and is like, yeah, there's actually not a rule about passing out before the dive. So she packed her lungs again, but this time she was careful not to do it too much. She suspects she only did it about 80%. She only packed her lungs about 80%, and she attempts her world record dive. It was not great. She got to the bottom. She grabs, she has three tasks that she has to do, and this is described in the documentary as well. Her task is to grab the handle that the balloon is on, open the oxygen tank, and pull the pin. Well, she did three tasks but by this point in time, at only her 80% lung capacity after just passing out, she was suffering from what was in very layman's terms, I'm just going to describe as a drunkenness yeah. that happens to your body. So what she does is she grabs the handle, she opens the oxygen tank, and instead of pulling the pin, she blew the ocean a kiss. And so in her drunken state, she had done three things. She had done three motions. It took her 17 seconds to realize that she forgot to pull the pin. And you can see her safety divers rushing towards her because everything is timed and they knew she had spent too much time down there. She should have pulled, they, you know, they knew they could see her grab that handle, turn the knob. And so the fact that she hadn't pulled the pin yet, they're coming in quickly. It was concerned. Yep. Yep. Well, she pulls the pin and then they, they see her, you know, shoot right back up. So at this point in time, she's past her. One of her safety divers actually had said, there were so many bubbles. She was moving so fast. He couldn't even see her body in the bubbles. So he had to double check. He like went down to make sure that she really was in, you know, holding on to the balloon and was going up. And then of course he has to wait hours before he gets to the surface. So she gets to the surface. Everything was fine. She achieved her record world and didn't pass out and did not pass out when she got up there. Mm -hmm. You know what this is comparable to that drunkenness? It's the road whammies. Oh, yeah. Right? You've yeah. been driving for hours. It's late at night, and all of a sudden, things just aren't making sense. Mm-hmm. They're too tired. Things are blurry, and you're like, I got to pull over. Right. I'm it's not, not, nap, not it's myself. nap time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. I just told you all that about Tanya's experience so that you understand where everyone's at, what their roles are. You know, you get to the surface. There's on, on your boat, there are doctors, there's medical personnel, there's medical equipment, there's all those things, right? So she holds the world record. And Papine is pissed. He is not going to be outdone by Tanya. A woman has broke his world record and Audrey's and he's just not going to have it. So they head down to the Dominican Republic to begin training for Audrey's attempt to beat Tanya Streeter's world record dive in October, just six weeks after she achieved it. They are headed down to start training her. And even more strange... This dive was moved up by two months. It was originally supposed to happen in December. But at Papine's insistence, they move it up to October. Can't be second. Mm, second no. Second place is the first loser, yep. Papine. 
Yep. Now it would be Audrey that's going to perform this dive, but because, because Pepin's body could not handle the challenges of such a deep dive at the age of 40. And like I said earlier, she's on a, she's a star on the rise at 28 and he's a master in decline essentially. So at this point in time, Pepin really isn't diving a whole lot because he had been suffering so many blackouts on his dive attempts and he got the bends a lot, which I needed to, I wanted to give, look that up and let everybody know. The bends was described medically as a painful and dangerous condition caused by rising to the surface too quickly after being deep underwater, um, breathing compressed air. Right. So that's, that's what the bends are. It's apparently very painful. So, you know, his time is ending here. Training went swimmingly in the Dominican Republic. No pun intended. Right. For Audrey. While it's going so well, Team members and friends were noticing that she was not her typical self. During training, usually she would be like super peppy and happy. And when they're training, Megan, they're essentially reaching these depths. Okay. But because it's not fully sanctioned, right? They don't have the the pomp and circumstance there to to officially. By the time they break the world record, they've probably already broken it three or four times. Absolutely. <clears throat> yes. Sure. Yep. Just like with, in the Guinness Book of World Records, yeah. you know how that, you got to practice it, right? Sure. So on October 9th, she reached the world record of her, her depth. And I'm going to tell you in a minute what her goal depth was, because, you know, she really only has to go one meter over Tanya. But of course, Pepin's not going to have her just do one meter over Tanya's. And so she reaches it during a training session. When she came up, everyone was like celebrating. But Audrey was not. She was not herself. And it was noticed by people. The next day, Carlos Sierra, which is Pepin's business partner, and he is a president of Pepin's made up. Uh, I don't give a fuck. Yes. Safety I mean, sanction. I need GAF. I do, I do give a fuck about what you're saying. I know. <laughs> but, right. Right. But yes, Pepin's own sanctioning association. Carlos was a business partner of Pepin, had known him a long time and was a president of this. Okay. He was in charge of some of the safety stank- sanctions and, and things like that for Audrey very good friend of Audrey's as well, and Pepin. And the next day after that October 9th training, he notices that Audrey had a black eye. She would not offer any uh, explanation. He noticed that the light from her eyes was gone. She looked sick. Rumors around the crew started um, flying that maybe she was pregnant. Um, Yeah, I imagine you shouldn't be diving. No, most definitely not. Others heard them, Audrey and Pepin, in full-out heated arguments as well that day there's noticeable tension and this is all happening one day before her scheduled record-breaking official dive so i think that's important information what kind of a narcissist intentionally gives somebody a black eye before a world record dive also i don't know i mean mean, if you're a batter you're a shitty one allegedly yeah, people don't give themselves black eye sure Not now. usually. And it's all on video. You can see there's video. I mean, like, can you see a black eye? Yeah. Yeah. There's she's got it's like right down here below on the top of her cheekbone. She has a very noticeable bruise right there. Um and she wouldn't offer any explanation of it and she was totally not herself. On the day of the dive, the crew members noticed that she was extremely withdrawn. Her mood was described as being bizarre. Because there was a crowd of people, right? Like waiting. She was not engaging with the people. She wasn't smiling. A lot of people found her just like staring off into the ocean. I don't um, like it. No, uh, not at all. And there is video of this and as a well. Caring spouse would be like, "Baby, you don't seem yourself today. Right. 
we need to not We're do this. We're probably not going to do extreme diving today. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not Pepin. Interestingly enough, others noticed that Pepin was not acting himself either. He was super nervous and he was all over the fucking place. He's like barking orders. He was acting hyper vigilant. It was super, super weird. And everyone is noticing it. And I'm not throwing shade at their crew. They're not in charge. The crew is not in charge They're doing here. their job. They are paid. And at this point, there's not a safety issue. They're just thinking, what is going on? Correct. Actually, one person does quote and say that for, for something that ends up being so off, everything was right. Like there, you know what I mean? It was just like, it's like there's this tragic a, a horror movie or suspense where things do yeah. seem normal, but you're, there's something off. But there's something off. Really? Yeah. Yep. But everyone, everyone noticed like Papin is on edge. He's, he's barking orders. He's all over the place. And remember they're being, they're being paid. They are paid members of the crew, right? You don't just question your boss a lot of the time. Right. So I mean, you're not talking to me, right? Uh, no, I mean, I know <laughs> we would, you and I would, but I don't think that most people necessarily, especially when things are going smoothly, their training dives have been amazing. Again, I'm just going to compare this to being a celebrity, like in a rock band where you've got the lead singer and then every the crew working for the band, they're going to follow the directions of the, you know, stoned singer. They are. Because he's for the sure. one paying the bills. He's in charge. And he's making it It's happen. your show. Yeah. yeah. You want to attempt the world record. Okay. So the worst case scenario, she doesn't make it. Or she, I mean, she doesn't make the dive. Like, make the, the dive. The world record. I knew what you meant. Yes. Son of a the bitch, world Charnel. record. That was record. so callous. God. I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, you know, I think that's what they're thinking the worst case scenario is. Sure. Is just that, they, you know, they, she doesn't reach her target depth. And then we try again another day. Okay. You know, because there's sanctions for safety. How fast, by the way, mm-hmm. is it taking you down? So do, do we have a speed on that? Well, it's not as fast as you think. I can tell you that to get her down, good segue, because she needed to go down 161 meters to break Tanya's world record. Um, Papine's having her go down 171, which is 550, 558 feet. feet. Tanya was at 520 feet. Why so much more? Because it's fucking Papine. Okay. And she's done it. She she did this dive she, and was successful. Several times. Yep. During practice, everything went well. What was the question that you asked so me before I said that? Because I forgot already. Yeah. So okay. in terms of how fast they're going down. And the yep. reason I'm asking that is because I'm assuming she could abort at any point mm-hmm. down here. So mm-hmm. she's moving slow enough mm-hmm. that she's like, son of a bitch, I can't hold my breath or some anomaly mm-hmm. happens she or can, something. She can pull that pin she can do that and she can go up. Yep, sure can. It. Anytime. It's not going that fast. I can tell you to get down to 558 feet where she does reach took a minute and a half. Okay. That's how long it takes. Okay. And timing is everything. They all, the crew knows. As a matter of fact, the crew is tapping the line or excuse me, their own tanks next to her, their own tanks to let her know, like she knows where her crew's at. Like this crew's at 90 meters, right? So she knows, and she's going down. So she's like, if she hears a tap, she is counting and she knows, okay, I've made it to 60 meters. I've made it to 90. I've made it to 125. I mean, obviously when she hits the bottom, she knows she's reached her target up, but that helps her with her um, timing to know where she's at and okay. the and the whole crew. To know as well, which I think is important is to know. Agreed. So Bill Stromberg on the No Limits documentary states that there are two, there were two occasions that day. He was on the crew that day. He said that he knows of two occasions where people asked Pepin 
if the tank that fills the balloon was full. Bill himself asked once, and he heard another crew member ask again. Both times, Papine snapped and told them, yes, it was filled, and leave it alone because he had already checked it. And he would not let people near that tank. So it's October 12th, 2002, and the record dive is set up. Audrey's in the water. She does her packing, um, you know, her breaths. She takes a deep breath, and she went for the 558-foot dive. And this was the last breath that Audrey would ever take. I will point out that the safety standards of Audrey's dives were not the IDA-approved standards that Tanya followed. They were Papine's organization standards. The team was also missing three safety divers that it typically had, two of which were really good safety divers. But that year, Papine told them they don't have any sponsors. They didn't have any dives planned. So these two safety divers um, took contracts elsewhere. They were working for somebody else. They were, and they weren't available at such short notice. Because he moved it up. Because two, he moved two it months. up. Yep. So they weren't there. And tragically, another one that is typically on the crew had died the year before in a cave diving accident. So he was not there either. But the, these are typically members of their crew that would be there during their world record dives. For whatever reason, Papine, probably because of money, Papine did not fill these roles with someone else. Now, scuba divers with this kind of experience are definitely very expensive. It was definitely a funding situation. But what it left, Megan, if you can picture this, is a very large gap yeah, of people on that line that she sleds down. Okay. They had all kind of safety divers at the top, at the surface, the people that don't need to be certified for scuba diving and to use that scuba diving gear. Yeah, which is going to help you for what? 20 feet? Well, maybe. 30 feet? Yeah, maybe. We'll find out they don't help Audrey at all, but great. I don't know. So there's all these people at the surface. There is one diver, scuba diver, at the very bottom. And then there's another one at 90 meters. Okay, so that means that there, remember, she was going down to, I'm going to speak in terms of meters instead of feet. So she's going to 171 meters. So they have someone all the way down there at 171 meters. And the next person that they have is at 90 meters. So there is a very gigantic gap between 90 meters and 171 meters. There should have been at least one diver at the 130 meter mark that that was not there. Tanya had 16. Yeah. Remember. I remember. 16 scuba safety divers. Which means mm-hmm. she probably exceeded the safety standards for that dive. I don't know because I, I, I did not look up. That might have been what was required. All I know is that she dove it, under the safety standards of Ida. Okay. Yep. Here we have, this is not a sponsored event. It was very much admitted that it was a funding issue, an availability and funding issue for those trained divers. They felt that they had... They, they had their deep divers, scuba divers, and they had all those people at the top, so they would be fine. Now, as she's going down, one diver did notice that the line was kind of swaying a little bit, but this is because, this isn't unusual, but it is it can be caused by the current because the morning of, it was storming like hell's fire all over, and usually a dive would be canceled, but it cleared up really quickly, and everyone was there, so Papine was like, nope, we're carrying on. So the ocean isn't at its best peak performance either 
for this and she's being pushed to do this. Now, she makes it to the bottom of the dive. She grabs the balloon handle. She opens the tank. Nothing fucking happens, Megan, because there's no oxygen in the balloon tank. So the one safety diver that was at the very bottom unclips one of his tanks, clips it onto her as he's supposed to do, and sends her up. But she is returning up way too slowly. And remember what I said about the gap. We're missing somebody about 80 feet up. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're a big, big gap. So between 171 meters and 90 meters, there's no safety divers and she's moving too slow. And the safety diver himself at 171 meters can only guide her body up so far before he's risking his own life and could die as well. But also he clipped his tank on and it should have taken her pretty quick, you know, I mean, but the problem is because her tank was empty, there's no force that's helping that um, situation either. And everyone is very careful not to like put blame on these safety divers because they absolutely did. Well, they were doing what their they, jobs. They were. They were doing their jobs and they didn't become safety divers just to not try to save someone, right? Yeah, I have putting no blame there at all. No. By the time she reached the diver at the 90 meter mark, who's then trying to get her, he notices like she's not on the track. That's how when you asked me that question earlier of is she pinned to it? I don't know the answer of if during an actual sanctioned dive, if you're supposed to be clipped to it, I would imagine probably, but Audrey wasn't because that diver found her floating like a leaf in the wind is how it was described on the documentary. So she is left the balloon as it is, and she's being brought up by the tank that her safety diver gave her, but it's too slow. And they're at about 90 meters. Well, all of a sudden, and he's got her, but all of a sudden... Something happens. Now, remember, I told you that time is ticking by. So the people on the surface are watching the time. She should have crested the surface between three minutes, five seconds and three minutes, 15 seconds. On the surface, the crew should have seen that the slack, the line, like the slack in the line, they should have by now been seeing it rattling back and forth, indicating that she is zooming to the surface. It, it vibrates it. All yeah. right. So they can see at the 315 mark. She is not coming back up. This thing is not rattling. So they're starting to to know that something is going on. But the divers on the top, remember there's all these little safety divers, all these people on the surface. They're watching the crew on the boat. And the crew on the boat isn't seeming to panic, so they're not making any moves. Then all of a sudden, at the 345 mark, people start hearing Papine just screaming, fuck, 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 and demanding his scuba gear. So he doesn't even have his scuba gear on. He gets it on in one minute, jumps into the water. The safety diver who is at 90 meters, who knows something is wrong, and he's got Audrey, and he's uh, you know trying to bring her to the surface, all of a sudden something hits him like on the head. It's Papine. He dove down 90 meters on one oxygen tank over his face, grabs her, puts her in front of him, and zooms back up. Now, people who are um, advocates for Papine say how risky this was, how much he, he loved his wife so much that he was risking his own life because not only did he go down very quickly on with that oxygen tank, but he also then came up. He ascended 
fast. very, very fast and could have, you know, was definitely risking his own life. Yep. And I misspoke the, when they found Audrey, when the um, diver found Audrey, it was about 124 meters is where he found her drifting and he had taken her to 90 meters. And that is when Pepin grabbed her. Now, some people have criticized the way that Pepin um, took her up as well. It looked as though he was holding her face upward. So she's just, water is just being pounded back into her lungs. Mm -hmm. But I don't know anything about that. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if that was just panic and he was just trying to grab her and, you know, take her up. Um, but he gets to her at the six minute mark. She has been under six water for six minutes. And by the time they crest now and think about the two divers that are down there, they can't come to the surface and for they hours. Know, and they know shit's they, wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And all they can do is just decompress as they go up and wait to find out. And the bottom divers bring in that faulty balloon up, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, the faulty balloon crested the surface at four minutes, 40 seconds without Audrey. So that's when everyone at the top knew that something is wrong. Yeah. But Pepin had jumped down to grab her. Did he jump down and say, oh, fuck, before or after the balloon reached the surface? Oh, he said, oh, fuck, at 345, before the balloon reached surface. But that's not unusual because she should have, they know, I mean, this is all so carefully timed. They know between 305 and 315 at the latest, she should have came to the surface. And by 345, that thing is not vibrating. Right. Okay. They know she's not zooming up yet. So that's when he demanded his scuba gear. And while he's putting it on, um, the balloon crests the surface without her. At 8 minutes, 38 seconds, Pepin finally surfaces with Audrey. And what happens next make pe- makes people scratch their head as well. So Audrey is in the supine position in the water. She's got a lot of pink foam coming from her mouth. For over a minute, Pepin tries to resuscitate Audrey himself in the water instead of getting her on the boat for CPR. What the fuck? You can see in the documentary that no one is moving fast to grab her from Pepin They're calling for a doctor because according to safety standards, medical professionals have to be on these dives, on these world record record dives. The doctor comes forward when they finally do pull her up. And it's still, by the way, it took, it was not fast. Like you can watch the whole thing. It's not fast. They get her up and the doc, they're calling for the doctor. And he's like, yeah, I'm a dentist. What? Yeah. No. This crew was put together by Pepin. Oh my God, Charnel. IDGAF is the perfect name for his safety organization. Yeah. He doesn't care about anyone. No, nope, no. Nope. Now, miraculously. How long had they had a dentist on their crew? I'm not sure. And I don't know that anybody really knew that the medical professional was the dentist until that moment. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm livid. As you should be, I think, yes. She did have a pulse when she surfaced miraculously somehow but she needed a doctor that was trained in hyperbaric medication in or um, a recompression like chamber mechanism okay that would be pretty common to to have these things uh neither was on board you know that the the dentist was not going to help in this situation so they get her in a rescue boat they're doing cpr 
And they kept putting her on her side because this pink foam is just pouring out of her mouth and nose. Lung liquid from the lungs. And she she did still have a pulse at this time when they are on this rescue boat. When the crew boat arrives, because, you know, the boat that they took her off of for the rescue boat, it's slower. So it arrives a little bit behind the rescue boat to shore. The whole crew sees that there's no emergency personnel there at all. There's just men trying to load her onto a freaking beach chair to use as a makeshift stretcher. And then they carry her on the beach chair uphill to the freaking infirmatory, infirmary, excuse me, hospital, hospital, if you will. Hospital. The crew that helped carry her, and these are good, I mean, these are people that they were trying to save her, but like, no, nothing was called to, you know, 911, in America, it'd be 911, you know. Yeah, like, hey, we're hauling ass to the shore. We have a woman who's been underwater for six minutes. No, she was, eight minutes. Eight minutes. She was carried by, like, six men on a beach chair into the hospital. And the crew remembers it was just chaotic because they were painting the the hospital at the time. Why not? And so, like, there's no, things aren't where they were supposed to be. It was literally, like, um, everything that could go wrong did at that point in time. Also, I noticed on the video, though, no one's giving her CPR, Megan. And I know. giving her CPR? But I know, well, it it was claimed that in the boat, she still had a bit of a pulse, but, like, no one, she still has all this fluid in her lungs. It doesn't matter if you have a Mm -mm. pulse. It matters if you're breathing. Yes, no one is giving her CPR. So I'm like, what the heck? 30, it took 30 minutes from when she was pulled into the crew boat to when she got into the hospital. There's no surviving that. Well, absolutely not. Shortly after arriving at the hospital, Audrey was, was pronounced, pronounced dead. dead. Mm-hmm. This is the third time that someone has died during a diving trip organized by Papine. When I say organized, I mean organized, like literally he's in charge of making sure who's on crew who's checking these safety standards. He is in charge. And making sure that there's a dentist on board. Yes, just in case you need a root canal in the middle of the ocean. Well, you want your teeth to be pearly fucking white when you dive. Oh, I think you want for all of those photos. Oh, I feel I feel some ways. Mm-hmm. And apparently this is contentious. So I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens before I give You're my opinions. You're not going to like any of this. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm sure. For I legal will. purposes, we'll have to probably keep our opinions to a minimum. Oh, is this still ongoing? Oh, honey, he doesn't get charged with anything. Not charged? Not even charged? No. No. No, no. I'll no, take no, a drink no, of my no. water now. Yeah. The, this is probably a case I should have saved for when we could drink during it. But here we are with our aqua. Well, who's to say there's not something in the water? <laughs> So as in the other cases, as I mentioned three times, someone has died under Papine's watch. Um, The reason, or as in the other cases, Audrey's autopsy report just said it was an accidental drowning. Um, Papine and three other crew members were interrogated the next day by a homicide department, okay, for about five minutes. And then they ruled it as an accidental drowning. Immediately following her death, people in the free diving world wanted an investigation and answers from Papine's organization, the International Association of Free Divers, to release details of the incident. Many say that the IAFD, which teaches the sport, sells free diving paraphernalia and organizes all of Audrey's dives, is obligated to reveal what went wrong to prevent future deaths. 
So okay. anytime you have a safety organization that oversees something and there is a death, there would have to be, even if not criminally, an internal investigation. Mm-hmm. If we're l- talking oh, about just wait legit for it. here. Just wait for it. There were many questions about whether the company followed the necessary safety precautions, which we know they don't because two years after this tragic death, the company is shut down. All right. But I think that everyone from the get go was like, wait a second. We need to be, someone needs to be looking into this. Okay. In an interview directly after his wife's death, Pepin Ferreras said that he was aware of the allegations that, you know, his organization doesn't follow proper safety standards and, and all of those things, but he's not going to discuss them publicly. Not only that, but after some deliberation with Audrey's parents, Papine put out a statement that Audrey's parents and, and he have decided not to disclose any information whatsoever about Audrey's accident or its causes, because this will only increase the morbidity of the enemies that both Audrey and he have. Enemies. Audrey didn't have any enemies. I'm sure this would have also been Audrey's will. And as such, I would ask that everyone everyone respect our decision. So because he is her husband and next of kin, they are not going to look into the, and the president of the organization that you were just speaking of, right? That needs at the very least an internal investigation. They have to. He is saying, no. I have a quote here in in just a minute too from him that's just really going to to show you where he was at. Can I make a comment about the word the terminology enemies? Um yeah, he people there, don't like him. Yeah, but just so you know, no one in this world in this realm of freediving enjoys Papine. Okay, but but they still, love Audrey. But still, they're not your enemies, honey. They're your competitors. Right. And that's something completely different. Yep. When you have, and, uh, you know, uh, a competitor in a sport, even your arch nemesis, right? The person who's constantly one up in you and, and you're going back and forth. They're not your enemy. Nope. Uh, interesting words, word R- choice. I agree. I agree. He saw all of his competitors as enemies and he's not going to release any details because he doesn't think it's going to help prevent future deaths. Okay. Because it would just be fodder. It would just be more fodder no. for their enemies to use against them. Whether there's enough to charge or not, and we're, we, won't, we probably aren't even going to get into that, or maybe we will, but in terms of at least an investigation, I don't care if he or the family hears me on this one. As somebody who has worked for years on different type of reviews, including a death review team here, right. where I investigated every death of a child eighteen uh, under 18 years of age right. in the county that occurred. I'm not on that anymore, but I used to be. It doesn't matter if it's an accident. It doesn't matter if nope. it's a natural. There are certain deaths that you always need to investigate, right. if for anything else than to create prevention and awareness later right so we can learn from them and that is what people were calling for from this yes and so and coupled with allegations of you're not you don't follow the safety protocols and this is was the result okay she was beloved in this world in this realm right so like how is it that someone that is this good at this sport could end up like this if it weren't for some things being overlooked, but also if if the safety protocols were all there, then there is information to be gained from this. What could we learn from this to Have prevent this from happening? Have there ever been statements made that he believes or that the team believes that they did follow safety standards? Um, yes, I have it right here. From, from Pepin? Pepin himself. 
When we dive, we try to do it with 300% safety. It's the only thing that's given me the tranquility and confidence to do a dive that deep. There's more to in just a minute, but give me a second. As I mentioned before, a man named Carlos Sierra was one of the presidents of the IAFD, and he told the press at the time that an investigation into Audrey's death is ongoing and that they, their organization hoped to release information soon. And he even put out and said, you know, maybe the cable was twisted. We're going to look into it. We're going to try to determine the cause of what, what went wrong. We want to make sure that what happened will never, ever happen again. While at the same token, Papine was releasing the statements that completely contradicted that I told you before, that what I said that he said before. After some deliberation, he and her parents decided they're not going to disclose any information about her death whatsoever because it would just fuel their enemies. So what right? did her parents even know about her death? They didn't know anything For sure. either. No. no one ever told them no. because there wasn't an investigation. Well, there is a bit of one. So here Carlos is trying to decide, you know, releasing these statements. And then there's Papine. He can see Papine releasing contradictory statements. And he even says, Papine even says to the press, what happened? You don't have to be a genius to understand it. It was some technical problems. It won't help anybody. He's saying it won't help anyone to learn from the technical problems that Audrey's dive had. So we're not going to investigate it. We're not going to even look into them because it's not going to help them. Furthermore, he also, when asked who was responsible for Audrey's death, he said he blamed himself, quote, because I taught her how to free dive, but then added, it's also her fault too because she fell in love with free diving. <laughs> the situation... Did anybody ever look at the balloon? And my, my evidence yes. mind is on. Yeah. Was it determined that there had never been oxygen in there it? There was never oxygen in it, and I'm getting to it right now. Thank you, love. Carlos Sierra, his partner, did his own investigation. As he told the public that they would do an internal investigation, and he does. He quits the IA, IAFD and did his own investigation, and he wrote a book about it. And I'm going to tell you about this book. You can all read it. It's called The Last Attempt, The True Story of Freediving Champion Audrey Mest and the Mystery of Her Death. And in that book, he goes over how he looked at every piece of equipment. He originally thought maybe the line might have been tangled a little bit. It wasn't. What he discovered was that that tank was never filled. The tank that that Papine was so um, adamant that was yeah fine. protective of. And these are true. Those are witness statements. People witnessed him saying, "Correct, it's fine. It's Leave fine. it alone. Leave it. Al yep, exactly. It's already been looked into mm -hmm. now." And remember what Tanya's husband said. I, we have a whole crew that checks the tank, but I also check that tank and make sure that it's filled. That is the life save. That is the one thing that's going to bring my wife back to the surface. I make sure that there's oxygen in it. There is no way that they met a protocol, even under their made up organization of their own safety rules, that only one person would lay eyes on that balloon. Correct. There's no way no that's way. a safety standard. No. Somebody else would have had to have. And they tried. Yeah. Yes, they tried many times. They but were going no. through their safety checklist. And like all the crew members said that were interviewed, they said, I moved on to my next task. He told me that it was, and he was aggressive about it. Do that it was now filled. have to check their own tanks? I don't to, know. Like, again, I'm not I, trusting I any so. motherfucker. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lay eyes on it myself. Mm -hmm. I don't care whether you're my husband, your mom, my, my mom, my child. Well, hold I'm, on. I'm going to check it myself. Hold on to that thought, though, because right what... 
what Carlos in his book outlines and suggests is that, and this has all been denied by Papine, but what he suggests is that he knows Papine did not fill that tank on purpose. He doesn't think he was actually trying to kill Audrey. He thinks he was trying to be her savior. I can buy that. Yep. And save Audrey because think about it. Audrey is going for the world record dive, right? A woman has already beat his record. She's going for the world record dive. She is up and coming. And she's not up and coming. At this point in time, she's made it. Okay. Yeah, but it's not about him. It's not about him. He's 40. He's declining. He has been blacking out, getting the bends. He is not as successful. How can we put Papine back in the spotlight? Papine can be the savior. And not only that, but they had had two to three years of a lot of success being on Sports Illustrated, um, all different kinds of things, being a power couple, right? So how amazing would this love story be to continue where he is her savior during a world record dive? And this is what Carlos Sierra, his his ex-partner, believes. That is his hypothesis. Now, this has been denied by Papine. And when reporters have blatantly and interviewers have blatantly said, so who is responsible for filling that tank? Who is responsible for her death then? Because they they have decided that, yes, the tank was never filled. Papine says, well, it's a whole crew. We're all responsible. You didn't let people near it. Right. So he's just going to blame. It's, it's the whole crew. They're a whole team, how, Megan. How can nobody look at that In and, Carlos, and conduct a new investigation? Carlos says, had this happened in America... The investigation would have went a lot different. But down there, it was a five-minute interview that they did with four four or five crew members, one of which did not speak Spanish, so they didn't even talk to him. They talked to Papin and like two or three other guys and ruled it, instead of a homicide, an accidental death. And I this theory really, really intrigued me. Well, like I said, Papin has denied it. But this is what kind of led him to it. One year after her death, Carlos was on a, a boat. James Cameron had reached out to the director, James Cameron. No shit. I was just going to say as in the director. The director. The James Cameron. Had heard his story and reached out, wants to make a movie called The Dive. All right. So Papine in grand fashion, one year from her, the anniversary of her death, he did a dive to the same exact depth that she went, so the world record depth with James Cameron filming. Papine did? Papine did. Selma Hayek was there because she was going to be cast as Audrey. And they were um, they were recording, you know, the dive. So he did it in memory of her um, in the same, in Cabo San Lucas where they met, all right? And then after the dive, he announced his retirement from diving. He's done with free diving, and that's how he did it. And it was that point that Carlos was like, I'm done here. We, I'm writing this book. We are, this is not okay because his theory of, all right, you, you were gonna, you know, he legitimately says in his book that he thinks she, he was trying to save her, but when he couldn't, well, then he still just got to use her as some propaganda, right? And the one year anniversary, he spread her ashes, had, Reporters around on the boat with her parents spreading her ashes at the sea. All of this stuff is just, I mean, I think for him, either way it goes, he still gets to be the center of the tension, right? I wonder, and this was not in anything that I saw. This is me, just freedom of, of, of speech right now. I had even wondered if Audrey knew 
about this because remember they didn't have sponsors that year. And that's and so, why she was so sick, yeah. like not doing well. She knew she was on some type of a almost suicide mission. Perhaps. Like because I, th- I think I, I hope I can make it back, but I know there's not going to be oxygen in this day. Like they yeah. planned it together. Do you <sighs> wonder yes, if now I do? Well, and I just wonder if he was like, we need publicity. We need something big. And as if her breaking the world record isn't big enough. Like I said, I didn't see this anywhere. It just made me wonder coupled with, you know, this, what everyone else is talking about is their marriage. They're not acting right. Their, their marriage was falling apart. So that's where people took the, he did this on purpose to murder her theory. Cause that's out there. There's, a, there's all kinds of theories out there. That is one of them. He did it on gonna, purpose. Honestly, I was going with gross negligence. Oh, and at in, the very exactly. least, that's a manslaughter type of charge here in well, the United that's States. that's another thing that many of the crew members were saying, in my country, this is manslaughter. Yes. And actually, I think one of the French guys was like, where I come from, that is manslaughtering. Yes, <laughs> manslaughtering. Like, yes, it is manslaughtering. That's yep. right. Exactly. That's the other thing where people are at as well. Like this is, this is manslaughter. Okay. And then there's Carlos, who's closest to both of these people who, you know, and had hypothesized essentially that, you know what? Um, I think that he had such a godlike complex that he was trying to be her savior Right. essentially which still falls into manslaughter because again it's it was sure does. just the act in and of itself that is so negligent that right. the, the natural result or cause it just got me it just got my wheels turning where i'm like well okay but what if she knew and that's why she was staring off into the ocean and why she was not quite right and why and maybe she didn't want to go along with it and he got a little violent with her we don't know that is just me spitballing but I, there's all we can do is speculate at this point in time and um, they set up it's the, horrible the perfect failure though here with not having those safety mechanisms in but place. But I mean, and, and Tanya talks about this on the documentary where she's like, how can this one important piece of equipment be overlooked? Like this is the piece of equipment that guarantees, that, that brings you to safety. You know, it's just so freaking weird that this one piece didn't work and malfunctioned. And yeah. And there's other people that have you know, issues with the fact that two other people have died in Mexico under Pepin's rule or under Pepin's you know, rule. watch, not rule. When they were diving or, or these were yeah, the people. This that, is when they were diving. Okay. Yeah. I just wondered, yeah. I knew the one was, you said yeah. there was a, there was a crew member that had died, right? No, that crew member that usually would be on the safety dive team. He had dived in a totally, or he had, he was on oh, a cave dive. The cave diving. So they didn't yeah. affiliate that dive no. with, with no. Pepin. No, that didn't have anything to do with But Pepin. two other divers on his team or in his crew. So like. That he, were diving, you know, under his watch. He was in charge of yeah. their. Okay. Yep. So he actually had a whole thing going on with his group where he dove, his wife dove, but then mm-hmm. they had other divers they, as yes. well. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Other, other team member divers. Yeah. Um, and, and you can find some information about that. It, there were uh, Massimo Bertoni and Pepe Fernandez. They were the two that died um, off the coast of Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Both had been training with him. And in both cases, he said that he does not know exactly why they died. He did agree to a, a phone interview with a media outlet, though. And he in one statement said that he was close friends with Massimo Bertoni and then days later told a media outlet that he had just met him shortly before the dive that killed him. Well, sometimes you meet friends in a couple of hours. Maybe, but he's giving conflicting statements. Oh yeah. And then in 
the other Pepe Fernandez's situation, they had known he was 45 years old. These, these two had known each other for several years. They were both from Cuba. And his speculation was this quote, what I think is he had been bitten by a scorpion the day before in Cabo San Lucas by his foot. <laughs> we were preparing to place, we were preparing the place to start training, putting anchors and all that. He went down like between 70 and 80 meters. So that's 230 to 262 feet. And I guess the poison from the scorpion killed him. Doctor said he drowned too, but I'm not a doctor. Yeah, you're fucking right. You're not a doctor. So you're just going to speculate so it was from scorpion poison? No one ever knows. I'm sorry, but you know when you get bit by a scorpion. I, mean, I maybe never it's have just been, like a mosquito in Mexico. I don't think so. No, I wouldn't think so either. I'd know. I'd be like, oh my fucking God. Right. <laughs> and he had not mentioned to anyone that he had been bitten by a scorpion. And I would tell everyone. For sure. Everyone's going to know if I get bit. I'm, they're going to know if a scorpion went walked by me. Gabrielle Fernandez's widow lives in Germany and she gave a phone interview with some media outlets and she said, no, I don't believe the scorpion story whatsoever. Um, they had children together. Um, it's just so, so very sad that, you know, their crew members become like a part of your family and of their course. families become a part of your pa- family. I will, like I had mentioned before, Audrey was cremated and her um, ashes were spread in the ocean by Papine. Um, in 2002, she was inducted posthumously into the World Divers Hall of Fame. And in August 2000 and book, uh, 2000 and book, August 2004, a book that tells her story was written by Papine and published under the title The Dive, a story of love and obsession. Now, the ghostwriter that he hired for that book was on the documentary No Limits and said it was very difficult to believe the things that he was telling. And it was very difficult to write a story and a, you know, essentially an autobiography, right? We will call this creative nonfiction. Yes. This is the genre. He's like, this is, was very difficult for me to do when I don't believe anything that's saying, for example, one of the things that he wanted in the book that was supposed to be about Audrey and their life together, he was talking about his dives and how one time he was diving in a Soviet submarine past him. And the writer was like, are, you really want me to put this in this book? And he's like, yeah. Oh, okay. What, okay, man. What is the value add-on to that story, no, sir? No idea. And also, it's probably not true. Well, I wouldn't think so. You just said people get all drunky in water, the ocean. water yeah, whammies. Ocean drunk. And he's laying down there watching Tom Clancy novels. Right. <laughs> Something's going on down there. <laughs> so this is the book. Papine's book is what James Cameron bought the rights to for his movie, The Dive. The last update that I could find about it was in 2017. He announced that Jennifer Lawrence was actually going to be cast to play Audrey instead of Selma Hayek. Uh, But I could not find any updates past that. So I don't know if it's going to be input into creation. I thought that I saw a recent article that said that they had start started filming it. I got to be honest with you. I don't know that I would watch it if it's through the lens of Papine. Yeah, I would um, hope that Mr. Cameron might have looked at some other sources to maybe interviewed some other people. I read, don't know. Read his partner's book. Yeah, yes. And he probably did. Uh, yep, and I'm wondering if maybe that's when some Mr. what Cameron some of the delay has been about. And mm-hmm. so he's going to do whatever makes the best movie and I don't judge him for that. Yeah. Because yeah, movies that's are how he movies are fiction. Butters his bread. Sure. You know? Amen. I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's just what it should be titled. <laughs> oh God. Um, so there, there's that. If you, if I am going to endorse a book to read though, I think you should go get, uh, Carlos, uh, Sierra's book, the last attempt, the true story of free diving champion, Audrey mastery Mest, and the mystery of her death. Um, and he, he is, he does say in there, like everything really safety wise was checked out except for that oxygen, you know, tank. Um, obviously there's some issues about the amount of safety divers, the rapid response, uh, their training, the dentist, come on, dentist. but it kills they me. were operating under the own sanctions that were created by, like I said, when you make, men. when you make the safety rules, it's easy to not violate any mm-hmm. for sure. So are you ready for a please, brain bath? Please give me a brain bath. I got the title of it says it all, Megan. Okay. It pulls you in immediately. It was sent to us by a listener and it is simply a story because this person even has their own Wikipedia page. <laughs> okay. Anybody can have a Wikipedia. You want me I to know, make you a wiki page? But, uh, no, this person. I'll write yours and you write mine. Crime Curious should have a wiki, a wiki page. Fuck yeah, we should. This is about the mad pooper. The mad pooper. This person did not create their own Wikipedia page, just so you know. It's like society did it for them. So the mad pooper is a nickname given to an unidentified woman in Colorado Springs, Colorado, United States, who repeatedly defecated in public while jogging during the summer months of 2017. Oh my God. While she primarily targeted one family's property and she did not use it, but she did not use it exclusively, leaving some of her excrement at other sites nearby. Like when she would be running by, she'd just literally drop like mm-hmm. a drop load a deuce. in their mm-hmm. yard. Yep. Photographs of her were made public, but neither she nor anyone who knows her came forward with further information that might identify her. Police believed the woman's actions were intentional since there are several public toilets within a block of the family's house that she could have used. After the case received national media attention, a purported spokesman claimed in a YouTube video that her actions were related to recent medical issues and enjoyed First Amendment protection. What? Yes. However, that video turned out to be a hoax. Good, because freedom of speech does not include your anus. No. I mean, a lot of times, some, sometimes it sounds like that's where people oh, are talking from. I know a lot from. of people talk out their ass, <laughs> but I'm just saying. I don't think that falls in protected speech. Procter & Gamble even offered her a free year supply of its Charmin brand toilet paper if she turned herself in. Really? And I would have offered her some fucking Depends, so at least we know where that's going to stay. A lot of, I'll get to it in a second. She was even featured in Psychology Today. Well, she should have been. Okay. After a burst of news media coverage <laughs> in mid-September in 2017, police reported that there had been no further reports of the woman defecating in public, although she had not been identified. A few commentators speculated about her possible motives. One believes that she might suffer from Crohn's disease. Another in Psychology Today proposed that she was an exhibitionist with poor impulse control, taking revenge on the family who had caught her. More likely. Yeah. Yep. I I think I can really buy into that. Was she a woman scorned? Was she shitting on her lover's lawn? Shitting on her lover's lawn. That is really hard to say. And I I am a linguist. (laughs) Shitting on her lover's lawn. Oh, fuck you, man. (laughs) You made it look easy. Well, it's because I wasn't the one originally trying to say it. Thank you. It was that whole brain to tongue action. Mm -hmm. I can't can't say one or two words together sometimes when I'm trying to. But no identify. No, No. she still isn't. No Mm -hmm. identity. 
I do want to tell you a little bit more. How would you like to be known as the mad pooper? pooper? There could be worse things that I went down in the world for, but there are pictures of her too. She's still not identified. Really? From, you know, psychologically though, I do, I do appreciate (laughs) this. Uh, In Psychology Today, Dale Hartley, he's an associate professor of psychology at West Virginia University at Parksburg, Parkersburg, excuse me, put out on this Wikipedia page his, you know, his expertise opinion, if you will. Because you know a lot about a person from them shitting in the same place. I love that psychologists are getting involved in this, but I'm willing to listen. Well, they said, you know, listen, could it have been revenge poop? Sure. But it's more likely that there's a lesser psychological issue that led to her her actions. Is she an exhibitionist? I think this is closer to the truth. He said, when they bear it all, exhibitionists have failed to control their impulses to reveal too much about themselves. The mad pooper's abdominal impulse may or may not be uh, exhibitionism. She might instead feel an overwhelming urge to experience the sensation of a bowel movement out in the open air or to flaunt social rules, break the law, get away with it, that kind of thing. But Kind of like what a kleptomaniac space. gets. So whatever itch she's scratching, I'd put my money on impulse control disorder as the milk in her magnesia. That's literally what he wrote. It's fucking lovely. Right. But at the right. same time, <laughs> I'm lovely. calling people shit on the fact that it's always in the same place at the same people's house. Yeah, well, they did say there were some other incidences, but primarily that she in had, that it, spot. there was primarily they did target the home of Kathy Budd. Kathy, Kathy was the one. Are that, you a Karen? Were you like rooted in the PTA? Well, and I, so somebody targeted your lawn. I think she was really upset because one day her, they were noticing the piles in their lawn. No kidding. But no then, shit. Right. <laughs> exactly. Can't nope. Myself. Yes. Shit. Yes. Yeah. Shit. Her children came in one day and told her, there's a lady taking a poop. <gasps> they saw her? Yeah. And so that was disturbing, too. To, she said that they saw the woman squatting with her jogging shorts around her ankles. Tackle her. And when, well, she confronted her about defecating in public and allowing her children to see her private parts in the process, the woman said, yeah, sorry, and left after pulling up her shorts. So she's like, well, I thought maybe she'd return quickly to clean it up. And- Never again jog in the area due to the the embarrassment that the incident caused. Instead, she continued to find feces in that same spot on the sidewalk at least once a week. So I think there, there is some speculation of we, you know what? I think she's pissed off that you went out there and called her out on it. So now she's like, oh, I didn't like it the first time. Now I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, they would have had to call the police if I encountered somebody well, shitting in my yard. Well, then she started jogging at different hours. Like, they were waiting for her, sure. and they'd stand out there and whatnot and make sure she wasn't doing it. Well, then she started, you so know, she, passive-aggressively doing it in different areas. She wasn't a creature of habit then in terms of time. Right. And real right. joggers have a spot they prefer. I know people who either run in the morning or run at night. Right. And usually, I mean, I guess you might have people that do both, and those people are crazy, but there's morning runners and night runners. Right. And I get that some people's bowels are as regular as a German train station. You know, I'm a 9 a.m.er. That's where I'm at all the time. 9 a.m. That's where I'm at. If she was running one day and was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have an emergency and shit in the yard, right? But the chances of it happening every day for the next week and, you know, to carry on. Once all the media coverage happened, though, the poops stopped. But she's going down in history. This unknown woman is the mad pooper. How can they not identify her? Well, uh, 
It is blurry. I mean, I must say that the, the there's got to be somebody the out image there is blurry. who has really good software. Can you take this blurry image and see if you right. can get it up close to this I woman? I think that the I want FBI her to be probably has more to do with their technology than no, to identify I don't the want mad the F- pooper. I don't want the FBI to solve this. I think podcasters everywhere. I challenge <laughs> all- you. I challenge you all to our to all of our friends who are podcasters. The first one of you to fix this digitized picture and let us get a good look at the mad pooper. I will find a fantastic gift for you. <laughs> I want I want your help. I, I want your ideas. I feel like her family would have outed her by now if they were willing to. And if she doesn't come forward, I don't know. It's one side profile. I mean, she's thin. Um, she better be. She shits everywhere and she runs, <laughs> you know. This is and what she's going to be famous for. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. almost famous on the way here. You're lucky, by the way. I'm alive. I almost died on the way here driving to your house, oh. which was literally just a couple miles from my place of work. Right. So do you know what Mentos are? Yeah. Fucking love Mentos, yeah. right? They're delicious. They're minty. And I'm like, oh, Mentos and I had to put one in because I'm going to talk into a microphone. Well, right, and they're delicious and they're pepperminty and whatever. So I grab it. What I forgot that I got fucking Mentos gum and I swallowed. I oh gave God. it a couple chews and swallowed, and then I no. realized it was Mentos <laughs> gum. Yeah, I almost died. It <laughs> rounding the ponds. I'm like, no. I have to. Yeah, I'm rounding. I mean, like, I'm going to end up in the lake in my suburban. Those ponds do freak me out too. They're by the deep. Way. Oh, and what's going to happen in the autopsies? They're going to be like she choked on a mento she choked on a mento she choked on gum gum that's, that's that is right. not how you're going to go down in if a flame of glory gonna, right if i was going to die from having something shoved out of my throat it wasn't going to be, be gum, gum. <laughs> right god tied up someplace true story true story oh yeah you know so I, somebody I, else should be famous not not me for dying from a mento's gum it should, yep. it should this, be the, the mad this pooper. mad pooper yep so there you have it. Well, hope you enjoyed this very long episode. I see that. We missed each um, other. We did. We definitely missed each other. And follow us on social media if you would like to binge a lot of exclusive content, which we're about to record November's bonus episodes here very soon. Um, go over to patreon.com slash crime curious. We are there. There's also a link in the show notes with my sources in uh, this episode. And like I said, follow us on all the socials. We are there. Find us. We will chat with you. Until next time, everybody, keep it curious. Bye-bye.